Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. It's December, if you haven't noticed, so you've only got about three more weeks to do my Christmas shopping for me, so just just remember that. December 26, 1956. There was a guy named Ted. He was standing in front of his bathroom mirror, getting ready for the day. And he began to reflect on some of the preceding days that had just played out leading up to Christmas. And he was frustrated by it all. He was frustrated because it seemed like everything had become so commercialized. It was so busy, hectic, and loud. And while he was thinking about that, he he took another glance into the mirror and he felt like for just a moment he saw staring back at him a Grinch as he saw his own reflection. And so he decided to write about Christmas for the purpose of remembering what it is that had been lost. Ted, we know of him better as Dr. Zeus. Yeah, and it was at that time in 1956, and he completed it in 1957, he wrote the little book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And if you ever saw one of the early versions of the book, it's pretty, pretty simple cover uh, that looks something along these lines. And I don't really remember the the book initially. What I remember was a few years later, in 1966, they come out with a cartoon version of the book. And I was five years old the very first time that The Grinch was shown on television. And it quickly became my favorite Christmas movie. cartoon to watch every year. I probably, you know, quit watching it every year when I turned 57, but, um, but, uh, but I always enjoyed, you know, watching that. And then there came a time in the year 2000, they actually made it a feature length movie, 90 minutes long starring Jim Carrey. And uh, some of you probably recall that one. In fact, some of the clips, well, the clips that I'm going to be showing today, they come from this particular version of of the story of how the Grinch stole Christmas. So what I want you to realize right out of the gate as we kind of start into this is that the original story was written 65 years ago. And what he was trying to do is he was trying to draw attention to the commercialization of Christmas. And, you know, and if a lot of us had been asked, well, how long has been the commercialization of Christmas? Has, has that been an issue? You know, a lot of us would be thinking maybe something along the lines of, oh, man, that's been going on for 20, 25 years or not hardly. Back in the 1950s, in the 1960s, there were some 
significant outcries in regards to a lot of people of faith and talking about the commercialization of Christmas and and kind of losing, you know, what the real meaning was and all that. That is certainly not something that has just been a recent development. One of the opening lines of this particular um, movie version of this involves this little girl, cute little girl. Her name is Cindy Lou. And she is saying something to her dad, and she says, Dad, doesn't this seem like a bit much? And Cindy Lou is holding this great big stack of wrapped presents she can barely hold. And so she's asking her dad, isn't this a bit much? And her dad, in typical Whoville fashion, answers the question by saying, this is what Christmas is all about. And so right out of the gates in this, they they bring to light, you know, the, the whole tension thing about the commercialization of Christmas and and uh, and all the way through you'll see reminders and elements of it because it really was a part of the original story and part of the intent of what uh, Dr. Zeus the guy that uh, he took on that pen name, um, what he was intending to get across. But uh, we're not going to talk a great deal about the commercialization of Christmas today. We may in a couple of Sundays with uh, the message that I'll have then. Today we're going to focus more on the main character of this movie. There's some really likable characters. Like I already said, Cindy Lou is a favorite character. Uh, for a lot of people, and perhaps the main one that rivals her is Max the dog. You know, if you're familiar, you know, with with uh, the cartoon and everything on that. The obvious place, though, for us to begin is with the Grinch. He's a recluse. He is grumpy. He is mean. Um, but the thing that stands out the most about him is he absolutely hates Christmas. The Grinch stands opposed to everything that Christmas represents. You might be tempted to ask why. Early in the movie, that comes up. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're back. Uh, ho, 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 and stop. Oh, my. Someone has vandalized that vehicle. You see, Max? The city is a dangerous place. The Grinch hated Christmas. The whole Christmas season. Not for the day. Not for... Now, please, don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. Hey, Kate, here's a present for you. You should have run real fast with it. Now, come on. Summertime. Let's go. Move, 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 move. It could be that his head wasn't screwed on just right. Yeah. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Hey, Granger. Oh, let you go. Do you buy a Okay, that's about the most disgusting part of the entire film, so I thought I'd just get that out of the way, okay? That does happen in there. The original version uh, of How the Grinch Stole Christmas were, were not told why he hated it so much. 
Um, it's just understood. That's the way it is. That's the way he is. He hates it, and he's all about ruining it for everyone else. He doesn't experience any of the cheer or any of the happiness or the celebrating, and he doesn't want anyone else to experience any of that as well. As far as the original version goes, we're just left in the dark as to why the Grinch is the way he is. But in the Jim Carrey version that came out in 2000, they actually give us insight. They give us some of the backstory as to why the Grinch is the way he is. Little Cindy Lou that I referred to earlier, she, uh, um, she doesn't think it's right just to write off the Grinch like everybody in Whoville seems to do. Uh, she, she wants to, to cut him a little bit of slack. She wants to understand him a little bit better. And so she sets out and does a little bit of door-to-door interviewing to try to get some insight from people that knew the Grinch many years earlier. Oh, who could that be? Hello, little girl. Are you here to read to us? No. I hear you know some things about the Grinch. Cindy Lou had some questions in her curious heart. Why did the Grinch hate Christmas? Where did it all start? For her dad's lab recorder, she wouldn't give an inch. In your own words, please tell me everything you know about the Grinch. Where did he come from? Oh, great. <gasps> he came the way all the babies come. Yeah, and that wasn't the only home she went to. She went to multiple homes, and she was asking them questions as, as to what his story was and who was he when he was young. Um, and part of what she learned was that when the Grinch was eight years old, he had a crush on a girl. Martha May was her name. And uh, the Grinch liked her so much, he wanted to impress her. And so he went home from school one day as an eight-year-old, and he started building a Christmas gift, a real elaborate, at least from his perspective, a real elaborate Christmas gift because he wanted to impress her with it. He also wanted to impress her enough that he decided to shave, which I guess the Grinch as an eight-year-old uh, did have a few whiskers. And, and he didn't do a very good job shaving, so he had all these nicks and cuts on his face. And so the next day, he went to school and gave the gift, and the other kids and all saw him and saw all the nicks and cuts and stuff like that. And they started making fun of him. They started laughing, laughing about the gift that he made, laughing about his appearance. As a matter of fact, with the exception of Martha May, everybody was laughing at the Grinch, including the teacher. She was laughing as well. And so eventually the Grinch, he gets so embarrassed, he gets angry, and he shouts, I hate Christmas. And he starts kicking around the presents that are in the classroom. He picks up the Christmas tree, and he throws the Christmas tree, and he runs away. And he goes out to this mountain. There was this tall mountain 3,000 feet into the air over Whoville. And he goes all the way up on the mountain. And he stays there for a long, long time. And the whole time he's staying there, 
he gets more and more bitter. Whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood outside his cave, hating the hooves. Alphabetically. Ardbarkian, Abacanesia who? I... Thank you! Harry B. Benson who? I hate you. Hate, 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 hate. Double hate. Loathe entirely. Yeah, so every year, as Christmas rolls around, he kind of goes through this, and it just burns him. When he hears the singing, when he hears the celebrating going on down in Whoville at Christmas time, he it just infuriates him. And so he makes this decision that he's going to put an end to it once and for all. He is going to stop Christmas. Now, let me just pause for a moment and just say, acknowledging the obvious, this is a fictional story. This is a book that was written back, actually, before I was even born. And then it was made into a cartoon and into a couple of versions of a movie and and but but it's a made up story. However, the thing is, there really was a Grinch back in history. We can read about him and we don't have to read about him in in some novel or some book of fiction. We read about it right here in the Bible. When you open up your Bible to Matthew chapter two, you will read about basically what represents the ultimate Grinch back at the time following the original Christmas. In verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2, we read this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem. All right, So no, no one was see, foreseeing their arrival. And we don't know that there was three of them. Odds are there were actually probably many more because they really did get everybody's attention, and I don't know that three would have done that. But uh, it mentions King Herod, and that's who I'm talking about here. This man did not have the Christmas spirit at all. In fact, he was downright anti-Christmas in every way imaginable. He disliked Christmas more than the Scrooge and the Grinch put together. We sometimes forget this part of the story because we focus on Bethlehem and we focus on a manger and we focus on shepherds out in the field and uh, angels singing. And, and when we think about Christmas, those are the things that we think about. But yet when you read the first 18 verses 
of Matthew chapter 18, you do see something very different. That passage goes on and it says, where is he? This is what the wise men were asking Herod. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. The terminology that's found here in the Greek when it says he was deeply disturbed literally means he began to shake violently. That's what that terminology literally means. Herod began to shake violently. He really reacted in a strong way because the wise men, they're asking this one who is called the king of the Jews that has been born, where is it? We want to worship him. And Herod just had a real reaction to that, a very visible reaction. But it wasn't just him. You look at the tail end of verse 3, it says, all Jerusalem with him. Why did the rest of Jerusalem react so strongly as well? It was because they knew Herod. They knew that Herod could be as ruthless as anyone that he was so paranoid. History tells us regarding this Herod that he had no tolerance for rivals. As a matter of fact, he killed his favorite wife. Yeah, he had multiple wives. And he killed his favorite one because he was convinced she was out for his throne. He killed a couple of the children that she bore him because he feared that they were going to seek his throne. He killed his brother-in-law. He killed his mother-in-law. He, he killed his wife's grandfather. And we're only talking about relatives at this point. But this is who Herod was. And, and human life meant nothing at all to him. Um, Augustus Caesar, uh, back at that time, he said regarding this Herod, uh, he said, it would be safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. You know, and so it was well known that Herod, he just would not tolerate a, a rival in any fashion. He had no intention of going and worshiping this Jesus that was born, even though uh, when you read Matthew 2, you'll see that he gave the wise men instruction that, that the word is down Bethlehem, check that out. And when you've gotten done worshiping him, return, tell me where he is so I can do the same. Herod had no intention of going and worshiping this newborn baby. And when he realized that uh, the wise men weren't going to return and to him and pass along any information, what was it that Herod did? you remember? What does the scripture say Herod did? Yeah, he made a decree that all male children two years and younger, you know, perhaps it had been a year, maybe a year and a half after the birth of Christ that the wise men had arrived and, and all of that had played out, even though your nativity scene seems to indicate differently. But that's not what the text says in the Bible. And, and uh, so, so we probably added a number of months onto it, and he had all male children in that region slaughtered. All that were two years old and younger. 
Yeah, this is uh, this is part of how Herod earns the nickname the Butcher of Bethlehem. Yeah, if you're going to look for a bad guy in the Christmas story, one that really did exist, just open your Bible, and you're going to read about him in Matthew chapter 2. He tried to kill Christmas in a very literal sense, and he almost succeeded in a manner of speaking. Let's go back to the movie. Here's what we see as the Grinch is driven to ruin Christmas for everybody. Ah! <laughs> and the more the Grinch thought of what Christmas would bring, the more the Grinch thought, I must stop this whole thing. I for year after year I put up with it now. I must stop this Christmas from coming. I mean, in what way? Yeah, so he hates Christmas and he cooks up a plan of what he's going to do. He decides he's going to disguise himself as Santa. And that way he won't threaten anyone if anyone happens to see him while he's doing his dirty work. He's going to go down and he's going to steal everything. At this great grinchy trick. With his coat and his hat, I'll look just like Saint Nick. Ho, ho, ho! You're the main one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a serious you're a cuddly as a cat, and as charming as an ear, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black beard. Just think the music you're a monster, Mr. Grinch. Yes, you are. Your heart's an empty I had to include that song. That's uh, Rusty's favorite Christmas song, so uh, had to throw that one out there. And so what he's doing is he's building a sleigh. So he's going to go down into Whoville, and he's going to start taking stuff. He's going to start taking all the presents from underneath all the trees. He's going to take all the trees. He's going to start taking decorations. In fact, he's going to raid refrigerators, and he's going to take all the food. He's going to take as much of this stuff as he possibly can. And uh, while he is in one of the uh, houses... He almost gets caught. When he heard a small sound, like the coo of a dove. <laughs> the Grinch had been caught by this tiny hoo daughter who'd got out of bed for a cup of cold water. Santa Claus, what are you doing with our tree? But you know, that old Grinch was so smart and so slick. He thought of a lie 
and he sold it up quick. <laughs> My sweet little dog. The fake Santa Claus lied. There's a light on this tree that won't point on one side. So I'm taking it home to my work, my dear. I'll put it up there, and then I'll bring it back here. Santa, what's Christmas really about? Vengeance! Er, I mean... Presents, I suppose. Hmm. I wasn't afraid of that. And his fib fooled the child. Then he patted her head, and he got her a drink, and he sent her to bed. Yeah, so you see another little element of that, that whole commercialization theme that's running through it and with uh, Cindy Lou's reaction. Uh, but that's a key exchange that they have there. She's asking him, considering he should be the authority, right? What is Christmas all about? And immediately the, the Grinch responds by saying, Vengeance which, based on the character and the storyline, that's an honest answer from the Grinch. It is all about vengeance. And, uh, but then he kind of walks that back a little bit, and after he actually spoke his truth at that moment, and then he says, well, I suppose it's presence. And uh, she's disappointed by that answer. Well, after the Grinch had taken all of the stuff from her house and from multiple other houses as well. He, at this point, is totally expecting for there to be a lot of weeping and wailing going on in Whoville. So the next image we see is him up on the mountaintop, and uh, um, off the edge of this mountain is a city dump, which early in the film it says that by June every year all the Christmas gifts end up in the dump anyway. And so he's up there, and he's about ready to push this big bag of everything he had stolen into the dump. And he's thinking he has succeeded. But has he? Now for the final note in my symphony of downright nasty, not niceness. The crescendo of my odious opus! <laughs> wailing and gnashing of teeth, the bellowing of the bitterly bombed out. It'll be like music in my ears. Then the Grinch heard a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. Huh? Huh? But the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sounded merry. But it was merry. Very. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. Mm. 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 
he hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came. Just exciting. <laughs> yeah, so he's confused by all of this. He figures that he has succeeded in his evil plan, but, but uh, indeed he hasn't. Because apparently they are experiencing all kinds of joy down in Whoville, and they're singing and all of this, even though they don't have presents, even though most of the lights are gone, even though the food has all been taken, he thought that they would be devastated. But they're not. He's seeing something quite different. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. And this is when it happens, the moment that the whole show kind of builds up to this moment. It's like a switch that flips inside of him, and all of a sudden he's beginning to understand something that, that he's never understood before. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas. He thought. Doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas. Perhaps. Means a little bit more.
eyeball. Don't stand like. And I'm leaking. Oh, Matt. I love you. <laughs> All right, you got at a certain point you got to remind yourself this is Jim Carrey that is acting, and so the acting is always going to be over the top, you know, really, really expressive and everything. But but what what we just saw depicted in the film is that a transformation is taking place within the Grinch. I mean, he is changing in a radical way after all of these years. And there's that phrase, that statement that he makes that was in the cartoon version in the book and everything else. And and it's so appropriate. It goes like this. Maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. And for all of us that know the gospel story, we know how true that is. That Christmas isn't about lights and decorations and trees and presents and songs and stuff like that. Christmas is so much more than all of that. And, and, and so, so this realization is dawning on him and, and he starts changing and all of the change begins right here with his heart. A transformation of the heart. The next thing that you see is he's down in Whoville and he's handing out presents and he's joining into the feast. In fact, he's the honorary one selected to cut the roast beast, you know, for for everybody. Here's the thing that, that I want you to get from this because you're missing the whole point if you don't get this. I want you to look at this as a parable, Okay. If you've spent any time at all in the pages of the Gospels, you know that Jesus' favorite way of teaching was by telling parables. And so we hear all kinds of stories about like a farmer out planting seed and the seed falls in a variety of different types of soil. Or we read about bridesmaids in the wee hours of the night waiting for the groom's arrival. Or we read about a shepherd that has a hundred sheep and one of the sheep wanders off. Or we read about a guy who is traveling between Jerusalem and Jericho and and um, some bandits jump him and beat him and leave him all bloodied alongside the road. Or we read about some rich dude that is building bigger and better barns. You read all these parables. These parables in and of themselves, they're not spiritual. They're just stories. That's all they are. They're just stories that Jesus was using in that day and time that people could connect with and then Jesus was taking elements of those stories and he was driving home spiritual truths. Now, that didn't mean that every single aspect of every story had spiritual application. No, not hardly. But he pointed out 
where it did. He drove that home. And in a similar fashion, we look at a silly story like this, how the Grinch stole Christmas, and, and there's a lot of goofiness attached to it, and funny parts, and weird parts, and stuff like that. But there are talking elements, there are teaching elements that are found there that you and I both, we can take our kids, we can take our grandkids, and we can actually watch a silly little movie like this, and then we can teach them some of the gospel principles that are found in the Bible from a silly story like this. And that's all we're trying to do in this series as we touch on certain certain Christmas, traditional, classic Christmas stories and videos. And, and we're just trying to say, ah, but here is a talking point. Here is a point of application that helps drive home the gospel message that we find. Because the reality of the matter is, we all are Grinch-like in a number of ways. We all have some of that in us. Whether we want to acknowledge that or not, even little kids, you look in little kids, we call it a sinful nature. A sinful nature that begins surfacing even when a kid is real young. Okay, yeah, call it a sinful nature, call it a Grinch-like tendency. But it is a part of the way as people were wired. Little kids, they'll fight and they'll argue over toys and they won't want to share. But, you know, that's not something that as we get older that we necessarily outgrow. Let me read a passage of Scripture for you from a grown man who is considered by many people as being a spiritual giant in the pages of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, he wrote a good percentage of the New Testament. I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. And this passage I'm going to read comes from Romans chapter 7, and in some respects, it sounds like a riddle. It sounds like a comical riddle. It's almost, you almost have the tendency of smiling when you hear this. But I can guarantee you, Paul wasn't joking around when he wrote this. Listen, starting in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I, I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Well, we know the answer to that. Even without me reading it, it's in the very next verse. It's Jesus. He's the one. But you see what Paul was doing is Paul was talking about this ongoing battle that he was having. 
It's kind of with his Grinch self. It's with the sinful nature. And it's a battle that just kept going on and on and on. And at times when maybe he felt like he was kind of getting the upper hand and he was getting on top of it, then all of a sudden he'd experience a setback and he would find himself falling face into sin all over again. It was an ongoing battle. And it's something that all of us, in our honest moments, would have to acknowledge that we all struggle with. And if we want to deny it, and if we want to say, okay, well, maybe a lot of Christians struggle this, but I don't have that issue. we got to be careful about drawing that kind of a statement, because it's not true. The Word of God says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And just in case that didn't get across to us, two verses later, if we say we don't have any sin, we make Him a liar. And His Word is not in us. You see, the reality is, as was kind of being depicted in this goofy, cartoonish video, is that, is that the Grinch, he had a heart issue. And the reality is, that's the bottom line. We have a heart issue as well. Every one of us has a heart issue. A heart that has become callous because that is what sin does. You add to that the effects of unresolved anger that builds up over time and then we end up gradually developing a critical spirit, a critical cold spirit, and we can feel that we've been mistreated in life. We can, we can feel that life hasn't been fair to us, and sometimes this all really begins to surface at a time of year like this in December, when Christmas rolls around. It just serves as a reminder of some of the deepest wounds that we've experienced in our life. Some of the broken relationships of years gone by. Some of the painful mistakes and bad decisions that we've made in the past. You know, sometimes people feel pain more acutely at Christmas than in any other time of year because this is the time we're supposed to be giddy. This is the time we're supposed to be smiling. This is the time everything's supposed to be jolly. But yet, sometimes this is when reality hits the hardest. And people experience anything but stuff like that. What's the key to the transformation? The Grinch had a transformation that took place. So what played into that? What penetrated his hard heart and led to this change? Part of the answer involves Cindy Lou. And it involves an exchange that we kind of skipped over that happened at that time when the Grinch was in our house. Santa? What? Don't forget the Grinch. I know it's mean and hairy and smelly. His hands might be cold and clammy. But I think he's actually kind of sweet. Sweet! You're thinking sweet. Merry Christmas, Santa. And 
when Cindy Lou went up with her cup. Nice kid. Yeah, this is what penetrated his hard heart and started leading to the change. She saw something in the Grinch that nobody else could see. All these years had passed, and everybody in Whoville basically looked at the Grinch in the same way, but not Cindy Lou. I guess you could say that to ungrinchify the Grinch, it took radical acceptance and love that looked beyond his surface. The Grinch was a mess. Nobody can argue that based on the storyline of this, this movie. But she saw past all of that. And this is what Christmas is all about. The Lord came to us. As the Gospel account records, the Lord came to us to be with us in spite of our messiness. In spite of the fact that we had all blown it. And we all were stained with sin. Yeah, we had a problem. A serious problem. We had a problem that is described in the pages of the Bible as being a heart of stone. Now, that's not terminology applying to the Grinch. That's terminology applying to you and me. We had hearts of stone. But God had an answer to that. He had an answer all along. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You see, that was written hundreds of years through the prophet uh, Ezekiel, hundreds of years before Bethlehem and the birth of Christ ever had taken place. This is the reality. God specializes in giving new hearts, and it's been his plan all along to do just this. This isn't a recent development as far as Revelation and the pages of the Bible are concerned. This is at the very core of the redemption story, that God can take our heart of stone and he can give us a soft heart, a heart of flesh. In spite of your sin, he loves you. Yeah, it's a silly story. I'll say it one last time. How the grace is stole Christmas. It's a silly story. But embedded in it is a reminder of the ultimate story. Of what it is that God has done for us. In spite of the messiness of our lives. God's love prevails. And that's what we celebrate. Because that's the heart of the Christmas story. It's not so much a stable and a manger and shepherds on a field. That's not the heart of the Christmas story. The heart of the Christmas story is that God's love prevails. He reached into your life through all the messiness, and he gave you a new heart in Christ. During this time of communion, we're going to take the bread and eat it and the cup, and we're going to drink it. I'm going to pray in just a moment, and, and we're going to do that. We're going to reflect on the body and the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And just as you do, just reflect 
Yeah, the Grinch, fictitious story. But what we're reflecting on right now is the real thing. God reached beyond our messy lives. And He loved us in spite of ourselves. And He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He gave us a new heart. And He gave us the hope of an eternity in His loving presence. That is the Christmas story. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for the opportunity today to kind of in a silly way to be reminded of the true story. It might be something that uh, we will even utilize and take advantage of when we have the opportunity sitting next to our kids or our grandkids and, and to point out some of the, the talking points of the gospel message through something like a video like this. Lord, we love you. And we do not deserve your love. But we're reminded of it today. And we celebrate it. Thank you for caring that you would send Jesus who we so desperately needed in our lives. True love has prevailed. And that true love has a name. And that name is Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.